0: Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, where we chat about great books with awesome authors, and you, our listeners, get to ask the questions. I'm Eliza Rosenberry. I never leave the house without
1: at least two books in my purse. And I'm Tavia Kowalchuk. Same for me, but I also usually leave two more books at home to read as well. Yes. I also have a towering
0: stack next to my bed. Eliza, do you always carry print books with you? No, I only ever read print books.
1: Yeah, me too. It's my favorite. I feel like I retain the book and understand it so much better.
0: Yeah, well, and I also like enjoy the experience of like turning the page, but it makes it really difficult to travel with books. <laughs> yes. <laughs> how many books do you take when you go on vacation?
1: Depends how long I'm going for. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> on today's show, JFK's assassin roams free, a hot pursuit across 1960s America driven by the hope for second chances. We'll be talking about the historical crime novel, November Road, and later in the show, we'll be joined by Edgar Award-winning author Lou Burney.
1: But first, we present to you, November Road, Abridged.
0: November Road is set against the backdrop of JFK's assassination. Frank Guidry is a charismatic hustler who works as a fixer for an infamous New Orleans mob boss. When Guidry is tasked to get rid of a car in a Dallas parking lot just days after President Kennedy's assassination, he begins to suspect he's become a liability. Guidry hits the road with a ruthless hitman on his tail, hoping an old ally in Las Vegas will help him. On his way there, he meets Charlotte Roy, a wife and mother of two young daughters who is looking for a new life in California. When Charlotte's car breaks down, Frank offers her a ride, seeing Charlotte and her daughters as the perfect cover. But road trips are notoriously unpredictable. These two secretive strangers develop a genuine relationship as hired guns are closing in. And Guidry and Charlotte's feelings for each other makes the stakes even higher. So, Tavia, what did you think of the book?
1: I really enjoyed this. This is different than the usual historical fiction I read. Mm -hmm. I love the more contemporary setting of the book. But one thing that really stood out for me was the noir style. Yeah, Um, The patter of the characters' dialogue, the whole vibe of the book. I just really loved it. The fact that it starts in New Orleans and, you know, you kind of get into that feeling of, like, the jazz clubs and the back alleys. Yeah, I really like that a lot. Yeah,
0: those characters in New Orleans are really sort of, like... Skeezy, and
1: (laughs) they're all trouble. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Um, And you know, to be perfectly frank, the JFK assassination is not my thing. It's not a part of history that I'm super interested in. Mm. But this book won me over. The way that it just used it as a device to put the rest of the story in motion, really, um, it just it just pulled me over to its side. And I, you know, I it didn't really matter to me what the the catalyst was for this road trip.
0: Yeah. I actually, it was so interesting having the JFK assassination as the backdrop because totally by coincidence, when I was reading this book, I was in Texas. I was in Austin for a family wedding. Oh, wow. And we went to the LBJ presidential library. And Lyndon B. Johnson, you know, took over the presidency when JFK was assassinated. And so the assassination was such a big part of this museum and exhibit and stuff. So it was so interesting to be like, I literally have my, I'm using my presidential library ticket (laughs) as my bookmark for this book. Thematic Um, bookmarks. I know. Um, I just thought it was, it was so interesting to have this sort of context for all of the changes that the country was going through at this time, cultural, societal, there was, you know, the country was on this cusp of like, all of these changes that were happening in the late 60s and the 70s. And the JFK assassination was sort of just on the precipice of all of that. So um, to have that backdrop, as I was reading November Road, which plays with sort of expectations of right and wrong and what people are expected to do versus what is right for them. um, It was a great reading experience. So you know, the JFK assassination was definitely interesting for me. I think it's not something I know a ton about, even though
1: I know it's very popular in culture today. That's awesome. Um, And then of course, um, you know, you sort of hinted at it the way that um, the the, the sort of uh, thrust of the novel, I feel like Lou Bernie, you know, he has these amazing relationships that he sets up between the characters, but also he has this dogged fealty to the concept of redemption. Mm. Like, he's not letting these characters go until they've found their redemption. Yeah. And it, you know, for me, that was the twist. Like, if this wasn't a very twisty, suspenseful novel. It mm-hmm. was, I felt like it was a mystery, but... Mm-hmm. But the the twist at the end for me was how they found their redemption. I yeah. never really saw it coming. And yeah that, and I really appreciated that. Yeah. It wasn't an easy pat ending.
0: Yeah. I really loved um even though in our, you know, summary of the book, Frank Gidry is like kind of the main character. It's how the book starts is, is with him and with his journey. But I really loved Charlotte. I feel like she's the latest in our line of strong female protagonists who are sort of complex and wrestling with what people demand of them versus what they're sort of passionate about. Um, And at the beginning of the book, basically, we're introduced to her and she is feeling really stuck in her marriage and in her home and family. And she basically packs up and Packs her two daughters and their dog in the car and hits the road. And I was just like cheering her on from the beginning. I felt like that was such a great introduction to her character. Oh my god, I couldn't believe that moment. She just is like she s- just snapped.
1: Yeah, She's like okay, that's it. Get in the car, pack your bags. <laughs> <She's> like, okay.
0: <laughs> I would not be able to pack my bag that quickly. And the other thing that I loved about November Road is the road trip trope, which oh, I yeah. think is like such a great structure for a story and i was trying to think about like the other great classic road trip novels or movies and of course all i could think about was crossroads the britney spears movie that came out like in the (laughs) early 2000s but there's also obviously on the road by jack kerouac Mm -hmm. is sort of like the quintessential um road trip story and um personally my family took a ton of road trips when i was growing up Um, So I really appreciate the sort of tension that happens
1: when you're on the road. Oh, my God. We once drove to New Orleans in August in a car that had no air conditioning. It was miserable. And I was so young. I I was like six or seven. Like, I couldn't even enjoy the city. How long of a drive was that? Oh, God. From New York. Days and days. I just remember, (laughs) like, begging my father to open the window. It was so hot. (laughs) Did you meet any unsavory characters when you were in New Orleans? No. <laughs> Not that I remember anyway. <laughs> but No, I hear you about the road trip trope. It reminded me of this book that I read a couple years ago by a debut novelist called Leah Frankie, and her book is called America for Beginners. Oh yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, and it, it's a completely different kind of road trip, but it's it's it also does something really really original with the trope. So, I love that. Yeah, awesome.
0: Well, I'm excited to talk to Lou Burney about November Road.
1: Oh my gosh, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Quick reminder, we love hearing from you. Join our Facebook group, The Book Club Girls, where you can talk with other book lovers and post your own questions to the authors who appear on the show. You can find us at facebook.com groups slash The Book Club Girls. And stay tuned after the show for a short exclusive sample from the November Road audiobook.
0: Today, we are joined by Lou Burney, whose new book, November Road,
1: is out now. Welcome, Lou, to the Book Club Girl podcast. We're so happy to have you here.
2: It's so great to be here. Thanks.
1: Eliza and I were just talking about your book, November Road, and how you use the road trip as a central component of the story. And before we even dive into the book, I need to know, have you ever taken a road trip?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I've taken many, many road trips, and I've actually taken the, the road trip in the book from Oklahoma to California, really, um, heading west several times. Oh, uh, oh and,
0: that's awesome! Was your road trip as eventful as Frank and Charlotte's? <laughs> no, no,
2: thank goodness, uh, <laughs> I was not being pursued by a murderous hitman, and I did not fall <laughs> in love along the way. But um, other than that, it was it was very memorable. I, I love the landscape. It's just such a like a quintessentially American, um, you know, trip to go through all those the painted desert and the and, and, and places like that.
0: Yeah. And the book, you know, it makes sense that you've been on this road trip because you seem to know the road so well and it, the setting is so evocative. Um, we were talking about it because being on a road trip is such a perfect, you know, in and of itself it's such a perfect um, structure for a story because it's both super contained and claustrophobic right? Like Mm. you're trapped in the car with these other people, but it also has the feel of the open road. So it's sort of like wide open, which I think makes for really interesting character development. Um, And so one of our readers, Tina, wrote in and asked you to tell us more about the gradual relationship between Frank and Charlotte. So like they're basically strangers when they get in the car together, but being on the run brings them together in this really interesting way. So we'd love to hear more about that.
2: That was probably the hardest part of the book to write for me because it needed to be a gradual kind of evolution in that relationship. I hate I hate books and movies where people fall in love at first sight because hmm. uh, that just generally doesn't happen. Um, yeah, uh, or I, it it does, but not you know it, it's really hard to pull that off. And so I wanted it to be a really gradual thing, and I also didn't want to slow the book down and 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 all of a sudden have this dead stop while two people got to know each other. So kind of balancing that and that relationship with the other th- elements in the plot was something I kept writing and rewriting and sort of a trial and error until it felt right.
1: I really enjoyed that part of the book. And I thought it was, you you made it even more complicated for yourself in a way because Frank was also acting. He was playing a role while also being himself, getting to know Charlotte. And I, do you think that him playing a role actually gave him more freedom to be himself in a way?
2: Yeah, that was definitely my, my intention. Like I, I had this idea that there, here's a guy who is a really good actor. And he, so when he plays a role, he really becomes that person. But what if that person is someone he likes better than himself? And so that was sort of what I was going, mm-hmm. going at with Frank is like he starts playing this role. And he's with this family. And he's like, wow, this is actually something far, far better than I imagined. And, and then he kind of gets caught between those two worlds in a way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you definitely um, get a sense that both Frank and Charlotte's characters change a lot over the course of the book. It always seems very believable to me as a reader. Um, and book club member Jacqueline wants to know, how did you approach your characters' transformations?
2: Well, again, that took a lot of trial and error, too. I just started thinking about, like, what, where are they starting and, and where are they ending up? And then figuring out sort of the the pivots along the way. and. And for both of them, I, I was kind of thinking like they're both running from something and they're both running to something. And so those things are different for each of them and kind of keeping those compartmentalized um, kept it more realistic for me. Like I think Charlotte wants something mm-hmm. very different than Frank does. And, and, and so like making sure I tracked both of the, those characters and their points of view kind of made it, made it feel um, more authentic to me.
1: Yeah. I think we we both agree it just it felt so that you know the way that they changed felt so real and I never felt like you were forcing them um do you think that people have like people not in books have the capacity (laughs) for change like Frank and Charlotte do
2: well I'm not an expert on people who are not in books like I only I really only deal with people (laughs) in books so uh I I do think that people can change I mean at least I'd like to hope so uh, you know I hope that and I and I think you know um I mean, I think that's sort of the story we tell ourselves is that we can change. And I think that's what, you know, keeps us resilient as human beings is that we we might find ourselves in a tough spot or we might be a person that we're not thrilled with. But there's always the possibility of becoming something else and becoming something different. And to me, that's kind of like the American story. Like, I mean, that's, you know, people came to America for that very reason to change who they were and they went west to change Mm -hmm. who they were. And so to me, that's what that's kind of what the book is about uh, to me.
0: So switching gears a little bit, Tavia and I were talking earlier about the noir genre and how you so expertly captured that in November Road. And so we were sort of curious when you were writing the book, were there elements of sort of the classic noir that you absolutely had to include in the book? Was there anything that's traditionally like noirish that you decided not to include? And how did you sort of work with the genre? Oh,
2: that's a great question. I uh, I love that genre. Um, but I also wanna do something more with it in that book. Like, I, I knew like, I didn't wanna just write a straight noir. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, you, you, you can't you know, honor the noir without including certain conventions and satisfying certain expectations. So, for example, like The Hitman, like that was to me a really important um, puzzle to unlock that I knew yeah. like, I wanted this murderous antagonist coming after them, but I also knew I, I, he needed to be someone Um, that sort of surpassed expectations or surprised the the reader in some ways. And so I worked really hard figuring out a way how to take this sort of typical character and make him something more than typical.
1: Yeah, it's true. I I mean, that's part of the reason why I wanted to see what you had to say about the noir genre because no one in this book felt cardboard. You know, it didn't feel like you just went to any trope or cliche even when you could have probably gotten away with it because the development of some of your you know of the main characters was so profound um so i really appreciated that about the book
2: oh thank you and it's it's something again like it's just a lot of trial and error and, and just sort of having that goal like like i just i started out with characters who were probably pretty flat and pretty cardboard and then as as i, I, I was writing a scene with each of them i was just like finding those little moments and those little details sort of make them come alive and so like for example with someone like Barone the hitman I remember I was about halfway through the draft when um I was thinking like ah, this doesn't make sense it's not gonna track like you know there's no way someone like Charlotte's gonna be able to survive a standoff with Barone and then I started thinking about like him getting stabbed in the hand and thinking about like oh wait um I can do something with that maybe and I, and I can mm. I can make that organically a part of the character in the plot and then you know, when he when he needs a driver because of his stabbed hand, I was like, Okay, that's another opportunity to throw something else into the mix that's not expected.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, just playing off this idea of the driver, we, you know, Eliza and I were talking earlier about how you really use the kind of simmering change in America as a backdrop for the novel. You know, Charlotte in the beginning is talking to her boss about how, you know, things are changing. You know, she's listening to Bob Dylan on the radio and, and you know, and, and Barone has, you know, this African-American driver who talks a lot. So you get a lot of his opinions about r- race relations in the U.S. while they're sort of driving along. Um, I, we really appreciated that about the book. And was that something that, again, like, how did you come to do that? Did you see that as just texture or, or did that add extra meaning to you?
2: I think for me, when I was writing the book, I wanted to use the Kennedy assassination sort of as a, an inciting incident for all the characters. Like, this is something that happens that, like, that disrupts every character's life. And I also was thinking in terms of how it disrupted the nation's life in a way. And that made me start thinking about when I was doing all the research in the early 60s and, and late 50s, how, how really you know, the conventional wisdom of that time that it was all you know, leave it to beaver and suburban mm-hmm. and, um, and nice yeah. and safe was, was not at all like a complete picture of America at that time. And so I kind of definitely, as I went through, wanted to capture the idea of this nation about to blow up in good ways and bad. And I didn't want to like write an essay about that. So I was always looking for opportunities of how I could work that into the story and braid it in in a way that felt organic to the characters in the story, but also like give you a sense of this, this movement that was happening in America.
1: At the end of the novel, you include an epilogue that jumps forward in time. I found it very satisfying and also a little unusual. And some readers wanted to know more about the ending. Without spoiling how the novel ends, can you tell us why you decided to include an epilogue?
2: Yeah, that's tricky. I go to book clubs a lot, and, and it's always interesting. You know, Generally, people like the epilogue, but there's always a few people who are like, you should have cut that epilogue. And I'm like, I thought about <laughs> it. I did. I thought about it. Um, and I don't know. I think for me, like, I always say the book's a love story, but it's, it's really not about a love between a man and a woman. It's about um, kind of a love between a mother and her daughters to some degree. And it's mm-hmm. about like, like the character Charlotte making the decisions she does um, for the sake of herself, but also for the sake of her daughters. And not in sort of a conventional way, but in a way to like like they're watching me uh, and they're learning yeah. from me and what can I do so that they can learn you know, something valuable from me. And so it felt like the epilogue was important to show that whole arc because it's, yeah. it's, it's really, that's who it's about, it's about the future. Um, what charlotte is doing and and not necessarily just the present
0: yeah charlotte is such a great character in this book and we were discussing this frank is sort of the book starts with frank and his story and you know he's in trouble and his you know shady cast of characters and his life and and all that but charlotte um, to me was was such an amazing part of this book and I really loved reading her sections and of course when when their stories start intertwining, it gets really good. Um, and actually totally by coincidence, in our last episode of the podcast, we read a novel called The Huntress by Kate Quinn. and that book takes place during World War II and after World War II. and one of the main characters in her book is a young woman who's passionate about photography, like, Charlotte is in November Road, so I was just curious. How did you decide to feature photography as Charlotte's sort of passion, and what does it represent to you in the book?
2: I think, I think for me, there was a couple of um, sources for that. One, um, sort of the general idea is I wanted Charlotte to have an artistic kind of bent of some sort. You know, I wanted her to have sort of a passion that did not fit in her small town. You know, like that Mm -hmm. she was just out of step. So I knew, I knew I wanted something like that. but another source of that in particular was my mom, who the character's kind of loosely inspired by. And my mom used to have that job. She used to work at a photography studio. And oh, wow. she used to um, tent black and white photos with color oil paintings. And she used to tell me about that. And I just like was fascinated. And we actually have a couple of those paintings that she tended of my sisters. And to me, there's just something, that, that whole idea of making something black and white and adding color to it was just kind of you know, fascinating, both literally and figuratively and um and then a little third piece of it was when i was in college this was this tells you how old i am but in the 80s when i was in college i um worked in a dark room at, uh, that was my work study job and so i was always developing photos and um you know printing them and i just remember the smells and like the the textures and so yeah i felt like i could bring a little bit of myself to that as well
1: yeah that's lovely i i love the 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 personal uh, touches that you brought to the novel—I never, we never would have known that if we hadn't asked. And it's really nice to know. Thank
0: Nobody, you. Nobody,
2: nobody's ever asked. That's that. the first time I've ever said <laughs> that. So now you know.
0: Good on us. Good question, <laughs> Lou. Do you have? Do you have pictures of those photographs that your mom? Like, do you still have them?
2: Yeah. Like, accessible m- yeah, to you? Yeah. My my sister has them hanging up. My my older sister, who is, um, if you if you read the book, the two little girls are, uh, not not based on my sisters but kind of they are you know don't <laughs> don't tell my one's my one, my one bossy sister don't tell her that but um she she has she has those um those paintings those pictures that are that are tinted and she won't give them up those like she has control of them in her house so but yeah we wow.
0: well if you ever snap a photo we would love to see them yeah that's definitely. so cool
1: so we have i have i have a formal question from our producer but before i ask her question you know one of the things that i really appreciated about frank's character and the arc of his story was it it felt like every step he was taking was this push pull with with his desire for redemption. And um, I just was wondering if you would talk a little bit about that. It's, again, it's like such a classic American kind of novel and redemption is such an American, I think it's an American theme. Um, What what did, you know, how did redemption play into the story for you?
2: Well, I always wanted it to be the main dramatic question for Frank, kind of both for me and the reader, like, is he going to make a change in his life or is he gonna you know fall back on the the man he's been for a long time um and i didn't want it to be a foregone conclusion and it was it was kind of like i i remember writing it and i remember writing a scene where he's remembering um growing up in um ascension parish louisiana and remembering his little sister and that was just like like part of the like i just threw that in i was like oh i'll give him a little sister that's i don't know why i think i just i don't even know why and then all of a sudden that little sister started kind of coming alive in, in both for him and for me. And I started to understand more about what makes Frank tick and how, like for, for many years, he's been playing a part. Again, like I said before, you know, he's, he's an actor and he's sort of been playing this role as a guy who's a fixer and a charmer and a, and a ladies' man he, and also amoral. But there's something deeper than that. And sort of Charlotte and the girls brought that out in him in a way that I didn't really see coming um, when I was writing until it actually happened.
1: One more quick question that we get from a lot of readers on our Facebook page, but our producer Jordan also is curious to know: When will a film adaptation of November Road be released?
2: Soon, I hope. It's in development right now. The project is in development. It's got a director attached. It's um, that's exciting. Yeah, it's really exciting. And um, I try not to get too involved because I get too excited. Like I'll get too I'll get too invested yeah. in it. So I try to keep my distance and tell my agent just call me when you know they start shooting that's when I want to know because up until that point you, it's not real
0: it's such a cinematic book I feel I I feel like I can picture it
2: oh good thanks like I just want to be an extra like I, I just I just want to <laughs> be like one of the mob guys in the background in a, in a bar scene that's all I want that
0: would be so cool awesome you can in be like Club Stanley get like a little cameo in, in the yeah, movie.
2: exactly right and get a nice suit a really like a sharp mm-hmm. suit from 1963 that's all I want <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sounds like you have something very specific in mind.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. I have a whole backstory for the character, trust me. <laughs>
1: are, are you a method actor?
2: Yes, absolutely. I'll, I'll, need to, I'll need to live the 60s for a while before I go into, into the <laughs> set.
1: You're listening to the Book Club Girl podcast, where our guest this week is Lou Burney, whose book November Road is out now. You can read more about Lou's book at bookclubgirl.com. We have a really fun perk exclusively for you, our listeners, this episode. We're giving away 30 signed copies of November Road, and five lucky winners will also receive commemorative cigar boxes with coasters that can be used at your next book club gathering. That's so cool. Isn't it though? (laughs) Head over to bookclubgirl.com slash podcast to enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary, open to U.S. residents only, runs January 7th through February 5th. Void where prohibited, official rules available at bookclubgirl.com slash podcast. And coming up on the
0: Book Club Girl podcast, we ask Lou about his literary white whale. Stick around.
1: This episode of the Book Club Girl podcast is brought to you by The Heap by Sean Adams. This audacious and eerily prescient debut novel chronicles the rise and fall of a massive high-rise housing complex and the lives it affected before and after its demise. It's available now wherever books are sold.
0: Welcome back to the show. Each week, we bring you a new fascinating conversation with an author who's written a book that we think is a great choice for book clubs to read together. Today, Lou Burney is here with us talking about his new book, November Road, and answering questions from fans.
1: Each episode, we ask an author, what is your literary white whale? It's a book they've either always meant to read or one they started reading and never finished. Lou, what is your literary white whale?
2: Oh, man. You know, the book book I've been trying to read forever is Ulysses by James Joyce, and it's just like... I can't do it. Like I start it, and I'm like, "Oh, this is cool," <laughs> and then I just—I never can get past like the first like twenty or thirty pages, and and I feel so embarrassed saying that because I know it's a fantastic book, but for some reason, I just cannot penetrate that book.
1: That is I a tough one. Yeah, I don't think you're alone in that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Good. That was Lou Burney, whose book November Road is out now. To find out more about Lou's book and how to buy it. Head to bookclubgirl.com, where you can also find links to everything mentioned in this episode.
1: Like what you heard? Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, give us a rating and leave a review.
0: Another way to help spread the word about the Book Club Girl podcast? Tell a friend. It really helps others to find us.
1: You'll hear from us again in two weeks where we'll be speaking with Jean Kwok, the author of Searching for Sylvie Lee.
0: I cannot wait to talk with Jean about oh my this gosh. book. She, I've been hearing
1: about it for so long. I had a chance to meet her a few weeks ago. She is lovely. Can't wait. We're going to have so much fun.
0: And you readers can join the conversation too if you have read Searching for Sylvie Lee. And if you have a question for Jean, post them in the comments on our Book Club Girls Facebook group or give us a call at 212-207-7336. You can also send us an email, thegirls at bookclubgirl.com. We would really love to hear from you.
1: Before we go, a big thank you to Jordan goss Pore, who produced today's episode, to Danielle Bartlett and Emily Crump, who introduced us to Lou Burney, and to our terrific engineer, Pascal McGilvray.
3: She finally made it downtown at a quarter past eight. Downtown was far too grand a designation three blocks square, a handful of red brick buildings with Victorian cupolas and rough-faced limestone trim. Not one of them more than three stories tall. A diner, a dress shop, a hardware store, a bakery. The first, and only, bank of Woodrow, Oklahoma. The photography studio was on the corner of Maine and Oklahoma next to the bakery. Charlotte had worked there for almost five years now. Mr. Hotchkiss specialized in formal portraits, beaming brides-to-be, toddlers in starched sailor suits, freshly delivered infants. Charlotte mixed the darkroom chemicals, processed the film, printed the contact sheets, and tinted the black-and-white portraits. For hour after tedious hour, she sat at her table using linseed oil and paint to add a golden glow to hair, a blue gleam, to irises. She lit a cigarette and started in on the Richardson toddlers, a pair of identical twins with matching Santa hats and stunned expressions. Mr. Hotchkiss puttered over and bent down to examine her work. A widower in his sixties, he smelled of apple-flavored pipe tobacco and photochemical fixative. He tended, as preface to any important pronouncement, to hitch up his pants. He hitched up his pants well, all right. Thank you, Charlotte said. I couldn't decide on the shade of red for the hats. The debate with myself grew heated. Mr. Hotchkiss glanced at her transistor radio on the shelf. The AM station that she liked broadcast from Kansas City, so by the time the signal reached Woodrow, it had gone fuzzy and ragged. Even after Charlotte had done much fiddling with the dial and the antenna, Bob Dylan still sounded as if he was singing Don't Think Twice It's All Right from the Bottom of a Well. "'I'll tell you what, Charlie,' Mr. Hotchkiss said. "'That old boy's no Bobby Vinton.' "'I fully agree,' Charlotte said. "'Mumble, mumble, mumble. "'I don't understand a thing he's saying.' "'The world is changing, Mr. Hotchkiss. "'It's speaking a new language.' Not here in Logan County. It's not, he said. Thank goodness. No, not here in Logan County. On that fact, Charlotte stood corrected.